0: Hello, I'm AJ Hogue, the author of Effortless English: Learn to Speak English Like a Native, and this is the Effortless English show. The show that teaches you to speak English powerfully. To get my free audiobook, go to effortlessenglish.com. Enter your email at effortlessenglish.com. Starting with a couple of Twitter questions. First question from Lomi What does fair enough mean? Fair enough. Okay, fair enough. It's a common phrase. We use it a lot. You'll hear it often in movies, uh, TV shows, and of course in normal everyday conversations. Fair enough. Fair enough means that's acceptable or that's fair, that's okay. okay. It has these kinds of meanings. Now the next question is, how do you use it? When do you use it? Well, we often use this phrase after we disagree with someone. Okay, so the situation is, first you disagree. You're having a discussion or an argument. You don't agree with the other person They're saying things you don't agree with. No, you don't agree, don't agree. And then they say something that's okay. Or during the discussion, during the argument, they say something that you think is reasonable. So after they say that, you say, well, okay, fair enough. It means, okay, that's acceptable. That's fair What you just said is okay. It's acceptable. So it doesn't mean you enthusiastically agree, but it just means you accept what they said. You accept what they said as reasonable. And you say it usually with that kind of tone Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Right? That's acceptable. Okay, on to our next question from my good friend in Barcelona, Spain, at Unlimited Spanish, Oscar. Oscar asks a very good pronunciation question. Uh, he wants to know the difference, and he wants some tips for pronouncing the word ask, the verb, A-S-K, compared to the past tense, asked, "ask." Ed. This is a little tricky, but it's very important. In fact, in my upcoming, my upcoming new pronunciation course, I have a whole unit about these kinds of pronunciation challenges. It's the endings of words, the endings of words. A lot of students, a lot of English learners have trouble with the ending sounds of words. And specifically, they pronounce the endings too softly, not strongly enough. The endings are too weak. Or a lot of people, they even cut the ending sound. And so the pronunciation is not clear, and people can't understand it easily. Now, I know in Asia, uh, in several Asian countries, this is especially a problem. But other other people, too, other people from uh, different countries. I mean, Oscar's from Spain, and he's asking this question. So, in English, the ending sounds are very important, especially for verbs, because that ending sound changes the meaning. It changes it from present to past. All right, how do we do it? The first word, ask, A-S-K. Most people can pronounce that fairly well, but ask. Again, you want to just get that little k sound at the end. Make sure you get the K, don't say ask, ask, right? It's too weak, you're you're missing the K, it sounds strange. So you need the K sound at the end, ask. Now as a learner, just as I talked about in my last effortless English show, in my last episode I talked about playful exaggeration, why that's important for pronunciation training. Well it's very important for you to exaggerate, to, to make the sounds too much, too strongly, especially these word endings. Now, for a native speaker, someone like me, learned English from a baby, I don't need to exaggerate the sounds, right? So I know how to pronounce these sounds and these words correctly. So for me, it's not so exaggerated, of course. I'm not going to do it. But as a learner, you must do it too strongly in the beginning. Until it's automatic, until your pronunciation is perfect, until you sound just like an American, or Canadian or British, whatever, until you get that, you need to exaggerate. You need to do it too strongly. So this is a good example. Make those ending sounds very, very strong. Ask. Get that K sound nice and strong. Ask. 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 I'm really exaggerating that final sound. K. This becomes even more important for the past tense because now you've got that little t sound at the end, that t sound. It's spelled with a d, but it's actually a t sound. So the final sound sounds like this. I'm going to exaggerate again. K-t, 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 k-t. There's a k and a t. At the end, I'm doing it very strongly. Listen to the full word. Asked. 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 This is the past tense. Asked. Now, as a native speaker, again, if I say it quickly and naturally, it will not be so exaggerated. It'll be softer. But for you practicing, you need to do it exaggerated. Very strongly. Because... Otherwise, usually your common mistake is to do it too softly or not at all. So make it very strong. Asked. kt. k-t. Okay, make those, those sounds very strong. K-t. Get that final T nice and strong. Asked. 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 So present tense is ask. Past tense. Asked. All right. You know, what's interesting is that some classical Shakespearean actors, so these are actors that are trained in classical Shakespearean acting. They do Shakespeare plays, you know, on the stage, especially in in England. They often have this kind of exaggerated pronunciation. They often make all of the sounds super clearly and super strongly. It's a kind of a style. So don't worry, you won't sound bad. You will just sound very educated, okay, (laughs) if you (laughs) make these sounds very, very clearly and strongly in an exaggerated way. Recently, I've been rereading... A great book. A fantastic book. The author's name is John Taylor Gatto. John Taylor Gatto. And the name of the book is Dumbing Us Down. Dumbing Us Down. This is an excellent book. One of my favorite, maybe my number one favorite book about education. About schools and education. Now, John Taylor Gatto was uh, given many awards for being the best teacher in his school, in his entire state. But during his career, he began to see all of the many, many problems with schools and education. So he wrote this book to talk about what he believed and what he saw to be The terrible, terrible, terrible problems in schools and education. And, of course, what he thought would be the best solutions. I'm going to read just one quote from the book. The book has got so many great ideas that I am probably going to just read quotes from it several times. I'm going to do a lot of episodes about this book because there's so many great ideas in that book. I can't do all of the book. I can't even do one chapter in... One Effortless English Show. So I'm just going to do a quote and talk about it. Here's the quote. No one believes anymore that scientists are trained in science classes or politicians in civics classes or poets in English classes. The truth is that schools don't really teach anything except how to obey orders. Wow, that's a strong statement. I agree with it. I agree 100% with this. That is the function of schools, of modern schools now. Teach people how to obey orders. And that's about all. Think about it. You know, I think about this myself. What he's saying, that scientists are not really trained in science classes. Politicians, they're not trained in schools. Poets, they don't become poets by sitting in their high school English class or even college English class. So what he's saying, indirectly, is that all of this training, all of the real learning is happening outside of the schools. I'll give you a a simple example. My sister has five children. Five children. Uh, The oldest one is ten right now, and the youngest ones are two. There's two of them, and they're both two years old. Now, those you would think, right, we, we have this idea that uh, kids learn to read in school. That's what the schools tell you. That's, if you watch the media, that's the idea you would get. But it's not true. It is not true. Her children did not learn to read in school. The oldest child, Isabella, she's the number one reader... In her school, they have this kind of uh, award they give to kids, and uh, they have some point system. Basically, it's the kid who reads the most, who reads the most books, and who can read the most uh, advanced books. And so, in her school, Isabella was number one in the whole school. Now, how did she become this incredible reader? In reading class, did the teachers teach her that? Is she sitting in her uh, English classes at school and just reading lots and lots of books? She's not. She's not. She's doing stupid little exercises and workbooks and things. Where does all that reading happen? I mean, she read all of the Harry Potter books. Every one of them. And some of those are big books. She read The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. She is currently reading Lord of the Rings. And Lord of the Rings is an advanced book. Uh, you know, tr- Go look at it sometime in a bookstore. Try reading it. It's got some advanced vocabulary. The writing style is, is pretty advanced. It's not an easy book, and she's only 10 years old. Very, very impressive. But all that reading ability, it happened outside of the schools. Isabella learned to read at home. Before she even went to school, her mom, my sister taught her to read, taught her the sounds of the letters, the basic sounds, basic phonics, and then read books to her all the time. Even before Isabella could read, my sister and her husband and my mom, Isabella's grandmother, they constantly read books to her. So even as a baby, Isabella would look at the pictures while her mom read. Isabella learned to love books and love reading, even as a small baby. And then, of course, as she got a little older, she learned the sounds of the letters, and then she started to learn individual words, and then she was reading little baby books. And this is the same for all my sister's children. And now she reads and reads and reads at home. She's reading at home. She didn't read Harry Potter... Sitting in school, in a class, nope, she read all the Harry Potter books at home. She read The Hobbit at home. She's reading Lord of the Rings at home. In school, she's actually not reading that much. They don't actually do a lot of reading in schools. They had them doing all kinds of other fairly useless activities that teach them to obey orders, to sit in their chair, to be quiet to follow a certain schedule, to obey the authority, the teacher. But learning to read? No, not really. In fact, you know, it's the, the kids who have low reading ability. And there are a lot of kids, for example, in America, that, you know, they never learn to read very well. And, you know, everybody has an idea about why is this. Oh, why do these kids never learn to read well? And, you know, the the teachers and the education officials and the politicians, they all have these ideas. Oh, it's because of poverty. It's because they're poor. But that's bullshit. It's not because they're poor. Libraries are free. All these kids have access. They can all go to a public library in their town and read, read, read as much as they want. No, you know, the problem is, the reason these kids don't become good readers is because their parents actually believe the lie. The lie that schools teach reading. The kids who don't read well, well, it's because their parents didn't teach them to read. Their parents thought, oh, well, the school will teach them, and, and the parents just send them to school Thinking, believing that the school will teach them everything. The school will teach them math. The school will teach them reading. So I don't have to do anything. Now, yes, often these parents are fairly poor. And sadly, often these parents also did badly in school. And then when their, their own child does badly, then they get this terrible limiting belief that, oh, well, they're not smart just like me. So, so sad it's so sad but it's it all comes from this belief that the schools will do it that the learning happens in the schools and you know these parents they could still save themselves and their kids it doesn't matter how old you are even if you're 70 years old if you can't read well you can teach yourself to read well you don't need a class you don't need school all you need to do read It's quite easy. You get better at reading by reading. So you just start with very, very easy books. This is the problem older people have. For example, let's say there's a 50-year-old parent and they don't read well, so they have low confidence and they don't think they can teach their own kid to read well. Well, all they need to do is just start reading. If they have any reading ability at all, they can get better. So all they need to do is you know just start reading little baby books at first little children's books this is the problem too many adults they're too they have too much pride oh i couldn't i no 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 i can't do that they would look foolish i would feel foolish i'm an adult i can't read these little children's books that's just pride they put away the pride and they could easily start reading those books they could enjoy them there's some kids' books that are still enjoyable for adults, still interesting and funny and entertaining. And just by reading lots of those easy, easy kids' books, they would get better and better. Their reading would get faster and better. Their understanding would improve. Then eventually their level goes up. Then they could read books a little more difficult, maybe still children's books, but more difficult children's books. And then little by little, month by month, They would get better and better and better. And then eventually, they would be reading adult novels. They would be reading the newspaper. They'd be reading magazines, anything they wanted to read. And then, most importantly, they could teach their own child how to read, not relying on the terrible school system, which does a very terrible job at teaching just about anything, (laughs) unfortunately. Certainly reading. Now, sadly, because of this, a lot of, a lot of you even have grown up with a fear of making mistakes and, and a kind of passivity. This is the, when, when John Taylor Gatto talks about, you know, the uh, learning how to obey orders, not being really trained in anything. It's a kind of passivity that you learn in school. I mean, for example, you. You know, you... How many years did you take English classes in school? Count them up. Some of you started in middle school. So that would be two years. If, if it's a kind of an American system, it would be two years of middle school, then four years of high school. So six years. Some of you also took English classes in college and university, maybe a couple more years. Now, now that's eight years. And a few of you even took, started taking English classes at a younger age. But let's just say eight years, six to eight years of English classes. And yet you got out and still could not speak fluently. This is what John Taylor Gatto is talking about. English speakers are not trained in English class. You take six, seven, eight years of English or more, and yet you still can't speak? That's crazy! But it's the truth. It's the reality in nearly every school in the world in nearly every country in the world, everyone that I know of. So what exactly are you learning in English class? I mean, you're not learning to speak fluently, so what is it you're learning? Well, yeah, you're studying some grammar rules and vocab and stuff, but mainly what you're learning is just to be obedient to the teacher. Do the homework, take the test, do what you're supposed to do. Follow the rules. Do what the boss tells you to do. That's the central training of schools. That's their central function. Yes, you might learn a few things as you go through school, of course. Let's not completely exaggerate. Of course, you do learn some stuff, but it's not very effective. It's, it's a lot of time wasted in schools. A ton. I'd say 90% of the time students sit in schools, they're just wasting time And then you get out, and then you're kind of passive. You, you have been trained in this idea that the way to learn is just to sit while the big boss, the teacher, tells you what to do. And that's why sometimes, you know, I get, I, I try to be patient because I understand students, I understand what happens in schools. But um, sometimes I'm frustrated because students are so passive, and they'll just, hey AJ, what should I do? And I'll, give advice, okay, listen to my, their fearless English lessons, you know, at least one hour a day, do this, yeah, but, uh, now what should I do, um, should I listen for one hour, or if I have time, should I listen for two hours, and I'll say, well, of course, two hours is better if you can, okay, well, should I do, you know, and they constantly want me to tell them every little, tiny, little thing, is that they can't make decisions anymore, they can't figure out and decide what's best for them anymore because for all those years in school, they're used to just the boss, the teacher, just telling them what to do. You must do this, you must do this, you must do this. They're used to being punished with bad grades or other kinds of discipline if they don't obey everything exactly as the teacher says. You know, and, and a lot of teachers, they love to say, you know, following orders is a very important skill. And so they'll say, like, for example, they'll, they'll do things like tell you, okay, class, uh, on the test, write your name in the top right corner. And let's say you're not paying attention or whatever, you don't think it's important, you write your name in the top left corner. And many teachers will, will punish you. They'll give you, like, a minus one because you were not following orders. You didn't put the name in the right corner of your paper. How dare you? You know, it's just these kinds of little things, and there's so many of them in schools. They're training you to be passive. Oh, I can't even decide which side of the paper to put my name on. Right? And this is why then we get so many students who, who as young adults especially are just so passive, can't make any decisions themselves, always waiting for someone to tell them what to do. And let me just tell you, Here, that, you know, that's why I call myself a coach usually and not a teacher, okay, I'm not here to tell you exactly what to do, I am not your boss, I don't want to be your boss, I want to be your friend, I want to be your guide, your coach, your coach who encourages you to be a great performer, your coach who encourages you, motivates you to be stronger, to be an independent learner, to have success independently, to get what you want from life, not what I want for you, what you want. So I'm there to be your support. I try to do everything possible to help you. You know, I give you these free shows. I do the the courses, my paid courses. Um, You know, I try to help you with psychology and motivation and your emotions. And I try to heal, (laughs) heal and fix these terrible things you learned in schools, especially this passivity. So that but that's all I'm doing but I can't do it for you and I don't want to tell you exactly what to do. That's why sometimes people ask me, "AJ, what book should I read?" You tell me that reading's good, "What book should I read?" Well, I can't tell you that because it depends on you. What what book do you want to read? What topics do you love? If you love mystery books, then read mystery books, even children's books, there are children's mystery books. But what if you hate mystery books? Then I can't tell you. Read a mystery book. Because maybe you don't like that. Some of you won't like that. Right? Some of you love romance. And you want to read romance books. Julia, for example, on Twitter, she was just telling me uh, that, Julia from Italy, that she loves um, Nicholas Sparks books. And it's romance. These are romance books, basically. Um... So I'm not going to tell Julia, ah, read an action book about about Vikings or something, okay? Because I like that, maybe, but that's not for her. So I can't tell you everything. I can only support you, encourage you, hey, trust yourself, okay? I'll give you everything I can give you to help you, but finally, you must trust yourself. I'm not your boss. I believe in you. I believe you will succeed. I know you are intelligent. And it doesn't matter. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're 10 years old or you're 90. You can succeed with English. You can learn English. You can be good at English. You're not bad at English. It's just that you had bad methods. It's you suffered through all this school stuff. But you can change that now. The mission of effortless English is to build, to create, to develop. We already have it, but to grow it, to grow this independent, self-reliant, happy family of English learners all around the world. We have people from all different religions, all different ages Races, men, women, whatever, gay, straight, it doesn't matter. All different countries, everywhere, all different cultures. But we have this incredibly positive, independent learning community, family, an international family of English learners. And one of our important values in Effortless English is self-reliance. Self-reliance. It's an important value. It means, basically, trust yourself. Trust, believe that you are smart enough. You are good enough. You can make your own decisions. You are your own boss. You are the boss of your learning. You are the boss of your life. Not me, not some other teacher, not the boss that you work for, not some politician, not the government, nobody else. It's your life. You are the boss. You choose. And you will choose well. Of course you'll make mistakes. Do the best you can, however. You will succeed. You will succeed. I promise you. I'm just here to be, you know, the leader of our community, to try to guide us. And mostly, a lot of what I do it's just to encourage you, so to try to give you strength so that you feel stronger. You feel more confident in yourself. You believe in yourself. When you do that, I know you will succeed. Do that. Follow the Effortless English Learning Method. You'll do it. And we'll do it together with this independent learning community. So you're independent, you're self-reliant, you trust yourself, but you're not alone. You're not alone. You have thousands and thousands and thousands of other Effortless English members, learners, and fans all around the world, in all different countries all around the world, together with you, to encourage you, to support you. And you can connect with your Effortless English family on social media, on my Facebook page, which is just facebook.com slash English. On Twitter, my personal Twitter is at aj Hogue, A-J-H-O-G-E, and a lot of the Effortless English family members communicate there on Twitter. Connect with me, and then you'll start to meet the other members of Effortless English on Twitter. So lastly, I invite you, trust yourself and join this incredible Effortless English family, this movement that we have. Spread the Effortless English method. Encourage your children, encourage your friends to trust themselves, not to be passive learners, but to trust themselves to be the masters of their own learning and their own lives. Let's do it together. For a free text guide, a free transcript of this show, go to the Effortless English blog at EffortlessEnglishClub.com Free transcript, free text for this show at EffortlessEnglishClub.com See you next time. Bye for now.